Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. After a hundred years of serving immigrants and refugees in the St. Louis area, this March, the International Institute began something new. It started serving lunch. Every Wednesday, a different cook takes over the kitchen at the Institute's headquarters in Tower Grove East. Anyone can stop by from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. and get lunch to go or stay and eat it in the cafeteria. Each week, a different cuisine gets highlighted, showcasing the culinary talents of St. Louis's immigrant community and helping chefs and caterers build their businesses. Joining me in studio to talk about this new lunch option are Anna Crossland, CEO of the International Institute, and Nadia Kadim, a business specialist at the in- International Institute's Community Development Corporation. Anna and Nadia, thank you for joining us today. Thank you thank for you. having us. Anna, I understand this lunch series was inspired by another long-standing lunch in town that also has international roots. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis? Well, you know, we we have been serving food uh, in various forms off and on since we were founded 100, and, 100 years ago. Um, but the idea of immigrant ethnic food lunches is something that's relatively recent. Uh, it's based on a number of different kinds of meals and opportunities in the community from, for instance, St. Raymond's and their Lebanese Catholic lunches, uh, uh, the fact that we've done Festival of Nations for a number of years and food is such a big attraction there, um, and, and, and just all different kinds of, of opportunities to uh uh, to eat food, but also to connect food and culture, what it's, which is what it's really about. Um, you know, areas like St. Louis, one of the challenges that we have here is that we um, do not have as much, um, as many immigrants as, as other parts of the United States do. So we really have to work at building connections. And what we found over a period of time is that food is one of the really most attractive connectors. You know, regardless of how much you may or may not know about ethnicity in a given community, Community. You seem to always know about Chinese food, about tacos, um, and, and, and are drawn to, to, to many of those kinds of, of menus. Um, we go a step beyond that, though, and we uh, serve the familiars. But now, more recently, with these lunches, we're also uh, uh, serving uh, slightly less familiar dishes to help people understand that even though they're unfamiliar, they're still common. So how did you first kick things off? What was the initial lunch to bring people in the door? Well, for about a month, actually, we had a couple of caterers uh, who were clients of Nadia's uh, um, from the Middle East who were, were serving um, over a period. We, we tested them out. I guess that's we did taste testing. And what happened was that we only had clients, uh, clients that um, uh, could come to the Institute during a certain time period. And we had staff and volunteers who were at the Institute during those days then testing it out. And so making once, sure it was good well, enough to serve well, to the public. Yeah, and, and understanding what the quantities were, um, understanding what the items were that would be really attractive to people to buy. Um, this is all new to many of our clients because uh, they may, in fact, have catered a meal before somewhere where you do everything from uh, the appetizer through the through the, uh, through the, the d- dessert. But the idea of being able to do an a la carte menu, for instance, and have people look at it and, and, and have a description of what the item is and be able to uh, uh, serve it up quickly uh, on a plate that looks attractive so people will buy it. Those are all new concepts to many of our clients. So we tested it out for, I think, a month to six weeks before we really um, uh, started to invite the public. 
Nadia, was it hard to get chefs initially to sign on to do this? The way Anna describes it, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'd, I'd have no idea how to start serving lunch in that capacity. Actually, what I'm finding out, immigrants, they really are talented with cooking and food and especially doing the catering business. Uh, I see a lot of clients, mm-hmm. like they came to me in the beginning and they have, they're telling me they have this talent that they can cook and do catering and they want to start their business and how they can start it. So we go with them from A to Z, of course, to help them start their business. And uh, like in the beginning, we helped a few of them and then we have getting like more and more people that they want to do the catering business because uh, a lot of them, this is what they used to do back home. They used to run their own restaurants or they used to do their own catering business and they want to do the same thing down here, but they weren't sure how to start it Mm -hmm. and how to do it. So that's why they came to us to help them and uh, start the first step. So that's sort of a way of getting their foot wet. And once they've done it with you, they, they feel the confidence to, yes. to go and do it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about um, uh, uh, work, the world of work and the rest of the world, um, that in many countries it's very different than the kind of environment we have here. Lots of people in America work for large corporations where they are one of you know hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of employees. For many of the countries from which our refugees and immigrants come, it's a very different model. And so there's a lot more of this directly selling something, whether it's in a store, whether it's a food, whatever the item is, the little corner shop, for instance, that we see when we travel um, in other parts of the world. And so when they come over here, they really are attracted to what we refer to as Main Street entrepreneurism. There's the technology um, entrepreneurism that we see in, in Cortex and some of these other development areas. And then there's what we call Main Street, Main Street. and that's really about uh, the entrepreneur um, selling something, making something, importing something, for instance, and then directly dealing with a customer. Let's hear directly from one of those cooks. Lillian Emma Mendez, an immigrant from Ecuador, catered a recent International Institute lunch. Here's what she told Alexis Moore, an intern on our show, about her reasons for participating. But I love these festivals, I love the parties, I love to feed the friends and neighbors and a lot of customers. They have a lot of customers actually in the farmer's market, so really good. I love the kind of people. <laughs> and everybody here, lo- everybody here was saying such good things. I was asking them, like... I love it, the people, yeah, you know, enjoy and say thank you. I like your food. Really proud to eat your food. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, and how do events like this help um, your catering business? Um, do they help you get more customers or things like that? Yeah, I try to get more more customers because the people, you know, especially the Mexican food is very popular everywhere. And people love it. Yeah, because I love to cook for us and cook for my family too, for neighbors, friends, because this is my business. I've been almost 15 years in the business. <laughs> Nadia, can you tell us a little bit more about how the Community Development Corporation seeks to assist immigrants as as they're trying to start businesses and and get their foothold in this country? Of course. Now, when the immigrants or a new American, they come to us and they have the idea to open their own new business, uh, first we find out their skills, what kind of skills they have, how long uh, they've been running uh, the business, or what kind of experience they have. Uh, We start with them. The next step is 
uh, giving them education classes, like business management education classes. We sit with them one-on-one, and we help them to do the business plan. We help them to do the cash flow, and then we uh, refer them to LSEM to get all the legal documents that they needed to start their businesses. And sometimes also we help them to find the location where they want to start their business, if they want like the physical location, uh, or refer them if they do like the catering business, we refer them to commercial kitchens where they can cook their food. So this is sort of one-stop shopping if you're looking to start a business but aren't really ready to dive all in. Well, and one of the things that we can do is we can help people who might have language and cultural barriers that limit their ability to simply go to a small business development center somewhere else in the community. So they can come to the Institute and either through somebody who speaks their language within the development program itself or through accessing our interpreter pool, for instance, we can actually help them, number one, to better um, envision what they want to be able to do, but then we can um, more thoroughly teach them um, the aspects of being an entrepreneur. In this country, small business development is a really risky business, uh, a really risky model. And if you were to look at loans through the Small Business Administration or a place like that, what you find is that, you know, more than half of those businesses fail because uh, you give them the loan and you send them off and they flounder at that point. They have nobody to be able to assist them. A substantially higher number of our businesses not just survive but thrive. And it's because of not just the initial assistance but the ongoing assistance that people like Nadia and others in the program offer these people so that they, um, you know, can can get that step, that essential step up. Can, can either of you tell me about a specific success story that you've had through that development corporation, a business that is, is doing well today? Well, I think one of them is Ala Alderi, who, um, uh, Sham Bakery, uh, oh, yes. which, uh, which is the pita place. Yeah. They're and, doing um, amazing. Yeah, they're doing amazing. And it's Tell wonderful. our listeners a little bit about what their, well, their business is. Yeah, Ala, um, in fact, was on the show maybe a couple years ago with us talking about entrepreneurship. And um, uh, he's a Syrian, a Syrian who arrived here in 2012, I believe it was. And so he started this business around, I'd say, 2015. He's probably been in business about five years. And he used his grandmother, I believe it is, his uh, recipe for pita. And he began to produce. He has a, a, a factory now, um, and his whole family works at it, and others over on Manchester in, May, in the Maplewood area. Uh, but he he now produces something like 5,000 packages of a pita, a, bre- a bread, a week that you can buy at the local Deerbergs and other outlets like that. And so he has become someone that not just produces on a one-to-one basis for buffets like we are operating, but he is in the mainstream in terms of wholesale sailing to uh, uh, gr- grocery operations, etc. And it's wonderful. The taste of it is wonderful. Whenever we have an event at the Institute, he shows up with bags of pita. It's wonderful. It really <laughs> is good pita. Yes, I it is. is. Uh-huh. Yeah. so tasty. <laughs> Alexis Moore, uh, who again is an intern on our show, she spoke with Christina Jelfs, a senior, senior manager at the International Institute, about how the lunches can serve even bigger goals than just feeding people. Let's have a listen to that. I think food is one thing that gets us all together. So it's a nice positive thing that so people come together and you leave happy because you have good food and it's and you get people talking. So it's kind of to give people a good feeling about all the different cultures and what we have in common too. We're talking today with Anna Crossland, the CEO of the International Institute, and Nadia Kanem, a business specialist at the Institute, about the lunch series that the Institute is now hosting on Wednesdays. 
Anna, there's been a strong anti-immigration sentiment in some parts of the country these days. I saw an interview you did a few years ago where you reminded us that prejudice against newcomers in the United States is nothing new. Can, can you speak yeah. to that a little bit? Yeah, it's not new. I mean, if you were to look back in the at the history of the Institute, you would find that there were quote-unquote race riots between um, the Germans and the Irish immigrants that came in in the 1840s and 50s. You would find that the um, Immigration Act of 1924 was an incredibly restrictive um, act that actually, for the first time, set um, uh, immigration uh, quotas for different countries based on who was in the country in 1890. And they did that deliberately to eliminate um, Jews and Italians from the uh, from the pool because they were very concerned about non-Christian um, and uh, individuals uh, arriving in this country, but also then Catholics because they questioned whether, in fact, with the Catholics, their allegiance was to the Pope rather than to the president. So this is not new in terms of, of what is new, I sometimes say, frequently, in fact, I say, is that information, um, whether it's right or wrong, spreads much more quickly now because of the internet and social networking, et cetera. And so something that might have been said that was negative before, you might hear it down the street, you might hear it from your local newspaper, but you probably didn't hear it within 10 minutes on the other side of the world. And so that then really magnifies issues in a way that, that didn't occur before. Do you see an event like this helping to combat that, or can it can it have a pushback on that spread of information and misinformation? Yeah, because as Christina, as Nadia, as as, as we have said, um, you know, it's really about finding uh, finding commonalities between individuals. There's a lot of fear in America right now that the immigrants that are coming are just too different. Well, the reality is every population has felt that about new immigrant populations. They thought they weren't white. They've thought they were too different, and the reality is that there are commonalities. And so instead of focusing on just the visible differences, uh, the um, uh, fact that people dress differently, that they have different religions, they speak a different language, uh, etc. Instead, we have to look more at what the shared values and behaviors are, the commonalities uh, that are between uh, between many cultures. And, and so what are some of those commonalities? Well, regardless of who you are and from where you come, you love your family. Uh, you know, uh, the idea of food, the fact that you can enjoy food and that it's part of a center of a family or a group is something that's a commonality. So if we focus on those kinds of, 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 of similarities, then we begin to build relationships. And through those um, uh, relationships, then we begin to demystify what we think of as differences and discover that the commonalities really prevail. Nadia, what's the feeling like at these lunches? Are, are people able to interact at all with the chefs? I, I know they must be busy working. Of course, definitely. Uh, especially like uh, two weeks ago, we had uh, an Iraqi food, and we have some soldiers came over, and they were like chatting with each other. Some of those soldiers, they were uh, in Iraq before, and they came to taste the Iraqi food because they missed it. They say they used to eat it over there, and they missed it now. And I remember they tried the okra with rice, and they really liked it. It's really good to see this interaction between the community and the chefs. You yourself are from Iraq. That must have been a, a heartwarming moment to yes. see these two potential adversaries coming together over a meal. Uh huh. Yes. I'm originally from Iraq, and uh, I came to St. Louis like about 21 years ago. And uh, it's really good to see people. They like the Iraqi food, and they come. They want to try it, and they like it. Yeah. 
Two guests at a recent lunch, Karina Aquino and Paula Vickers, spoke to Alexis Moore about what brought them to the event. Let's have a listen. Um, so I follow the International Institute on Facebook, and I knew, and I've done these more than once. So I was like, oh, it's Wednesday. So I, so I wake up, and I'm like, ooh, it's Wednesday. And I'm like, what's for lunch? And I was like, ooh, Mexican food. So I was like, Paula, Mexican food. Yeah, I came to one other one when they were doing the Egyptian food, and that was my first time coming to one, and it was really good. Um, and I like trying new things, so I was definitely happy to come down and at work because we were working in the area today, so it's a lot closer. Mm-hmm. It was a good lunch break. Going from food here to table scraps, um, your colleague Christina Jelfs mm-hmm. noted that last week's event was the first to have 100% of the trash composted and to have a recycling program in the works. Can you tell me a little bit about the Institute's green initiatives? Well, we have we have started green initiatives in a really big way, um, a substantial uh, a number of years ago, having to do with Festival of Nations, where we literally collect tons of uh, inf- of, of materials to recycle. But only recently have we begun to really um, focus on it more at the International Institute. These lunches have been the impetus for part of it. And so our first stage now is composting. And so that's what we've started then as of last week, is that we now have a composting project. Um, and in the after Festival of Nations this year, then we're also going to move into other pieces, uh, other parts of recycling. But, you know, this is, this is uh, creating a lot more um, potential trash that we want to be able to turn into an opportunity opportunity at the Institute. And and it's a great way to educate our clients also. It's a firsthand view of not just the eating experience of our clients and, in fact, our caterers, but it's also a way to be able to um, save the earth while we're at it. (laughs) If people want to stop by for a visit, what do they need to do? Can they just show up? Do they have to get tickets? They just need to show up and get in line. Mm -hmm. And what kind of price point are we talking? Uh, no more than $10 for a plate. So it's a deal. Yes, <laughs> it's a good deal. And the only the only warning that I ever give my friends when I tell them to show up is, while we say 11.30 to 1 in terms of the, the, the meal, the closer you can get to 11.30, the more opportunity there is or the more we can guarantee that the full menu will be there because they frequently sell out. And they don't want to have more waste. No, no. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they kind of know what is going to sell every week. And so sometimes they get surprised if the crowd is bigger than usual. We had one man, I remember one day, he drove from West County and he came rushing in at 20 to 1 and said, I'm here for the lunch. And we had to say, I'm so sorry, they have just closed down because they've sold out. And he oh, said, no. oh my goodness. And so, you know, it's about come, but come early. <laughs> that is a good warning for everyone. Um, Anna, you also mentioned the Festival of Nations that is coming up so soon. Can you, for the people who live underneath the rock and don't know what I'm <laughs> talking about, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Well, Festival of Nations, uh, which is in its 19th year, um, will happen in Tower Grove Park the 24th and 25th of August. And we regularly draw more than 100,000 people. And if you love ethnic food, this is the place to come to get it. Uh, More than 40 food booths, gifts, three stages of entertainment, and there's no entry fee. Um, And so it's really a wonderful opportunity to really, um, in a a short period of time, to really explore what um, International St. Louis is all about. 
uh, this year. For those who have come before this year, um, just a, a quick word of warning, which is that we have moved the festival slightly. And so it is still in Tower Grove Park, but it's now closer to the center of the park near the Piper Palm House. Uh, we did the survey. Uh, the heat is getting, uh, as we know, uh, worse. And at uh, the end of August, it can be pretty hot. And so we did this survey in the park and discovered that there was more tree coverage in the middle of the park. And so we have relocated the festival. So think about that when you go to park this time around uh, because it's in a slightly different place. But it is wonderful. And, uh, you know, 85, 90% of the people say they come for the food. And so it fits very well in what we're talking about today, which is food is the connector. And on that note, that was Anna Crossland, CEO of the International Institute, and Nadia Kanim, a business specialist at the International Institute's Community Development Corporation. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.